0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, throughout life you'll come across things that you can have various levels of confidence in. There are some things you feel not much confidence about at all. For example, if you're planning to take an old, beat-up car on a very long road trip through the mountains, then you might not be very confident that you'll finish your journey. Or if someone were to ask you if the Winnipeg Jets are going to make the playoffs this year, you would have to respond, I'm just not very sure. Now, there are other things in life that you might feel uh, pretty confident about, but then you get surprised. For example, some of you may have been very confident that Sheldon and Christina were going to have a baby girl, and that my wife and I were going to have a baby boy, but sometimes you get surprised. And then there are things in life that you can be very confident about. Very confident about. For example, I'm very confident that over the next week, we're going to experience some very cold weather here in Winnipeg. I'm sure you believe the same. I don't think any of us really doubt that. But there's one thing in this world that we can have the most confidence in. An unshakable confidence. It's one thing we can always count on that will never fail. One thing we can be absolutely sure about, more sure than anything in life, and that thing is God's promises in Jesus Christ, our Savior. God's promises are completely sure. They are completely trustworthy. And they will never let us down. This afternoon, we are looking at the question of true faith as summarized uh, in Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And we'll see that true faith is a firm confidence in God's promises in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's essentially the theme for the sermon this afternoon. With that theme, we have two points. First of all, believing God's promises changes our status, our status before God. And second of all, believing God's promises changes how we live. So, beloved, every single Lord's Day in the Catechism is important. But as I sometimes say to my Catechism students, a few of them seem to be just that much more important. And that's true, the Lord's Day in front of us this afternoon, Lord's Day 7, On true faith. This teaching in this Lord's Day is more valuable than all the world's money. It's more important than learning any life skill, other life skill we might learn in life. We must know what true faith is, and also you parents who've had your children baptized this afternoon will have to teach your children what true faith is in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Lord's Day 7, it presents a shift in the catechism. So yes, the second section of the catechism, our deliverance or salvation, already began at Lord's Day 5. But in Lord's Day 7, here's where the teaching of our salvation from sin and judgment really, really takes off, really gets going, gets into the heart of it. See, Lord's Days 2 through 4 described our sin and misery and God's judgment. Lord says 5 and 6 describe what is necessary to be saved and reveals to us who the Savior is. There we learn that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He is true and righteous man, and he is also true God. He is the perfect mediator that we need. He offered up the perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins of sinners in his death on the cross. And he rendered perfect obedience to God and so overcame death. And so the next question is, one of the most important questions in all the world is this, how can that salvation worked by that Savior Jesus come to me personally? How can I gain access to it? How can I... Get a hold of it. How can I receive it? How can I personally be saved by Jesus Christ, the only Savior? Lord's Day 7 describes this for us. And the answer Scripture gives is is simple, but it's so beautiful. Uh, You can receive the saving benefits of Christ by believing in Him. By believing in Jesus Christ, merely trusting in his finished work for you and for your sins, you can be saved by putting your faith in Christ. As we confess in Lord's Day 7, are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished in Adam? The answer is no, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. Or we could, we could put it into the, the positive. How are people who perished in Adam saved by Christ? Well, people are saved by true faith by which they are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. It really is astoundingly simple, but it's, it's beautiful. Think about it. We have a, a massive amount of debt Before God, from our sins, we have rebelled against him, his holy majesty. We are worthy of eternal condemnation for our disobedience. What does it take to be saved from that on our part? Well, you would think we would need to do something really difficult to make up for our disobedience maybe accomplish some great feat, or do something really special for God. But the reality is completely different. You don't need to work for this salvation. In fact, you can't. You don't need to go on some long pilgrimage to find it. It's something God graciously brings to you. The wonder of the saving work of Christ that you gain it by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus and his finished work. That's it. This is the teaching of Scripture. Listen to how 1 Corinthians 15 describes this so clearly for us. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is what we preach, and so you believed. This is what the Apostle Paul preached. He preached the message of Christ's death and resurrection. He proclaimed what those events achieved, the forgiveness of sins, and the, and the, and the people were saved by believing that gospel. He says, by this gospel you are being saved. The same is still true today. same is still true for us sitting here this afternoon. As the message of Christ crucified and resurrected is preached among you, you are saved by believing in Jesus Christ, putting your faith in His finished work. Now, when we hear that, we might wonder, Why is that the case? What difference does believing in Christ really make? How does that that save us? Well, the answer is that faith, faith in Jesus Christ, it connects us to Christ and his saving benefits. Lord's Day 7 puts it like this, true faith, it grafts us into Christ, grafts us into him. That is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, true faith joins us to Jesus Christ, the last Adam. You see, when we believe in Jesus, there exists a living union between Christ and us who believe. There's a living union between us. We become spiritually one. It's, being, it's by being in Christ that Christ-saving work becomes ours. And this gives us a new status before God. Instead of viewing us only as sinners, which we are apart from Christ, God can count us righteous as Christ himself is righteous. And the same is true of all the other aspects of salvation we share in the same status as Jesus Christ by our union with him. And so, in Christ, we have eternal life as Christ has eternal life. In Christ, we have access to God's throne as Christ himself has access to God's throne. In Christ, we are sons of God, as Christ is the Son, or in a similar way, as Christ is a Son of God. In Christ, we are heirs of the world, as Christ is heir of the world. I think you get the picture. Those who believe in Jesus are joined to Christ, by that union with him, we share in all his benefits. And this is why Lord, Day 7 can describe true faith the way it does. What is true faith? Asked, it's not only a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed in his word. It's at the same time a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation. Out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. It's by the merits of Christ that we have forgiveness from God for all of our sins. We are counted righteous, that that is, that we are justified before His throne. That we have salvation. Again, we find this teaching of the Catechism throughout Scripture. Consider Romans 5, verse 18. Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that is, of Christ, leads to justification and life for all men. In Christ, we have a new status, justified. Consider Galatians 2, verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Finally, I'll give you one more Galatians 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. We have a new status before God in Christ, children of God. In any case, Scriptures are clear. Through faith in Christ, we share in His saving benefits. And this is why we can have the firm confidence Lord's Day 7 describes. See, God's own word, His own promises revealed in the Scriptures It gives us permission, if if I can put it like that, permission to have this confidence before God. We are forgiven. We are accepted by Him. We might not always feel that confidence, but how do we grow in this faith? Well, Lord's Day 7 gets it right when it says, This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel." Gospel means good news. And so the gospel of Christ means the good news of Christ. So the gospel is God's promises of salvation in Christ and His finished work. Do you want to grow in assurance that you are accepted by God? Do you want to grow in this firm confidence that not only to others but also to me, God has granted forgiveness, righteousness, and eternal life. Then you need to hear the gospel. You need to hear it again and again and again. The gospel is about the work of Christ and what it what it achieved. And in order to grow in faith, we need to look outside of ourselves to Christ. Understanding what he accomplished through his death and resurrection. See, the good news of Christ, it points us away from ourselves to Christ himself. That we might fix our eyes on him, that we might see, we might behold God's mercy through Christ our Lord. That brings us to our second point. Now, the New Testament scriptures are clear that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. However, sometimes we might get the idea that this teaching is exclusively from the New Testament. You know, sometimes people falsely believe that in the Old Testament, uh, things were different. That there there was a sort of salvation by works in the Old Testament And that was then replaced with the way of faith in the New Testament. However, that idea is is simply an error. There has always been one way of salvation, both in the Old Testament times and in the New Testament times till today. There always will be one way of salvation. It's a way of faith in God's promises in Christ Jesus. That's one thing the author of Hebrews shows in his letter. You read that letter. And God's people throughout all history have always been saved by God's redeeming work in Jesus Christ. We read from Hebrews 11. It's that well-known chapter of people who lived by faith. It begins with an important statement of what faith is. Faith is an assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So the assurance of things hoped for. What are the things we hope for? We have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of eternal fellowship with God on a new heavens and new earth. And Hebrews 11 verse 1 says we have an assurance of these things. That is to say, these things are not just some pie-in-the-sky, wishful thinking. No, we are assured that these things are coming and they will be a reality. And why is that? Why can we have this assurance of, of things hoped for? Well, it's because God, the one who promised them, is faithful. It's impossible for him to lie. He is trustworthy. Absolutely trustworthy. So we are assured that the things promised are coming. Along the same lines. uh, What are the things we don't see that we are convicted of, as Hebrews 1 verse 1 says? Well, there are many things in the Christian life we don't currently see with our eyes. We do not see God himself with our eyes, although we do see his works. We do not see Jesus Christ in heaven presently with our eyes. And we do not yet see the full fulfillment of God's promises. But even still, though we don't presently see them, we are convicted that these things are real. These things are true. The Holy Spirit convicts us from God's word that these things are certain. And this is how God's people have always lived throughout history, relying on the faithfulness of God, the truthfulness of God revealed in his word. Hebrews 11 verse 2 says, "...by faith the people of old received their commendation from God." That refers to Old Testament saints. Hebrews 11 goes through some of these Old Testament saints who lived by faith. They lived by God's promises, so they had an assurance of things hoped for. Listen to some of the people listed here in this chapter. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain did, through which he was commended as righteous. Abel, counted righteous by faith. He knew he was a sinner in need of forgiveness from God. He offered a sacrifice in faith. And by this, he was counted righteous before God. There's also Abraham, the father of all believers, He trusted God's promises, and by that faith and the promise, he too was counted righteous before God. In Genesis 15, the Lord promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. The Lord told him, look up at those stars, so shall your offspring be. And then Genesis 15 says, Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Faith in the promise. Abraham was counted righteous. And the same, it's the same way of salvation throughout history. As you read this chapter, you can see the faith of the Old Testament saints. It changed them. Led to a radical life. Their faith in God's promise made them live Amazing lives in many ways. Think of Noah. God told Noah he was going to destroy the world with a flood. And he commanded Noah to build an ark so that he could be saved along with his family. What did Noah do? He trusted the word of God. So he got to work based on that word. And it took quite a few years for him to build the ark, but he did it anyways trusted the Word of God, and he acted upon it. Think of Abraham again. God told him to leave his father's house and go to the country God showed him. And Later on, God told Abraham to sacrifice his own son Isaac, the child whom God said, Through this child will your offspring be named. In both cases, Abraham trusted God, his word, his promises. And so he acted on those promises of God. And think of the people mentioned at the end of this chapter. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Their faith, their absolute trust in God's word, his promise, allowed them to do these extraordinary things. Now, when we read about this, when we hear about some of the things these people did, well, then we might, we might wonder about ourselves. Um, you know, we might wonder, well, would I be able to do those things? I'll look at some of the things listed here. Uh, is my faith strong enough that I would be willing to, you know, live in a cave if I had to, or even allow myself to be sawn in two, as it, as it says? Or think about Lord's Day 7, what we have in the Catechism. It says, true faith is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, righteousness, salvation. And maybe you think, well, I do consider myself a believer, but I don't feel all that confident. What does that say about me? Well, we need to understand that it can be very easy to go wrong at this point. Our confidence is not in ourselves or how strong we feel our faith is. Our confidence is in God and in his promises in Christ, which do not change. And it's because God's promises are sure that our faith can be sure and that allows us to do extraordinary things, also as the people uh, described in Hebrews 11. Think of some of these examples. Right? Put yourself in their shoes. Think of Abraham. Put yourself in his shoes. God promises to give you a child, and you wait years and years to receive the promised son. And finally, you receive that promised child, but then the Lord commands you to, to sacrifice him as an offering. Are you feeling confident in that moment that things are going to work out? Very likely, you might struggle with doubt. might not be feeling 100% confident, but what allows you to act in that moment? Well you have God's promise. You've already seen that God has been faithful. so God's promise from a faithful God it's enough for you to act. Think of someone like Joseph. Put yourself in his shoes. Sure, he was not exactly the, worst, the world's most humble believer, but he was still a believer. And yet the Lord led him through terrible suffering. Again, put yourself in his shoes. One day, suddenly you're attacked by all your brothers. They throw you into a pit only to take you out to sell you to slave traders. You get shipped off to Egypt where you serve as a slave. Get accused for a crime you did not commit only to get thrown into prison where you languish for years. How confident are you feeling as you go through that seemingly never ending misery? Well, you would probably struggle with your fair share of doubts. And yet, you know you still have that promise of God, that promise that God will, will be your God. And you may not feel very good, but with the hand of faith, You hold on to that promise, no matter what, trusting that since God has promised it, he will be faithful despite my circumstances. And so in somehow, in some way, God will turn it all for your good. That's what it means to live by faith. And take any of the examples mentioned near the end of the chapter There it says, some people of God quench the power of the flames. Almost undoubtedly refers to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. Put yourself in their shoes. King Nebuchadnezzar has told you to bow before his statue, or you will burn in his fiery furnace. And after you initially refuse to bow, he orders the furnace to be made seven times hotter. What are you going to do now? Will you bow or will you allow yourself to be tossed into the flames? See the flaming, you see that flaming furnace burning hotter than you've ever seen anything else. How confident do you feel? Well, maybe not very confident at all. Maybe it's the opposite. What matters is not whether you feel confident or not. What matters is that you hold on to God's promises no matter what. And so, despite a lack of confidence you may feel, you act according to God's promise and you refuse to bow before Nebuchadnezzar's statue. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. It's what it means to live by faith. God's promises are the anchor for our souls. We have God's promises in Christ. We can hear them preached in the gospel. Have them in the Bible. It includes the forgiveness of our sins in Christ, eternal life in Christ, God's fatherly love in Christ. They are real. They are certain. They are dependable. So, living by faith means acting according to those promises of God. Even when we might not feel a firm confidence in ourselves, this is what God has promised, so that is what will guide me. That's the beautiful thing about it. What counts at the end of the day is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith The object of our faith is Christ and God's promises in Christ. And we will never go wrong when we believe those promises and act according to them. We can do that today. So no no matter what situation we might face, no matter what trial we might go through, we can be confident in the Lord. God's promises in Christ are are the most dependable thing in the world. Let us live by them every day. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing, uh, actually a hymn we sang this morning already, but it's a beautiful hymn. Let's sing hymn 61, stanzas 1 and 2.